He is good, and it is good to be able to sing that in the midst of uh, life, in the midst of challenges, and I'm thankful that we can do that. Thank you very much. If this is your first time here, um, yeah, I, I, I say this all the time, I do cry a lot, so sorry about that. Um, but uh, I'm really looking forward to what God's about to say this morning. Uh, this is, uh, I think, such an important such an important message. We are in a series that's called God Never Said That. God Never Said That. And what we're doing throughout the summer here is we're looking at uh, different passages and sometimes not even uh, passages of scripture, but they're just sometimes things that Christians say that sound like they're from passages of scripture. <laughs> you know, they're, they're common things that we say that kind of fell into our common vernacular as, as Christians, and we're looking at different ones. We've looked at, you know, if you just pray in Jesus' name, he's going to give you whatever you want, right? Uh, we looked at, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans for good, what that really meant, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. We're looking now, this morning, at just another one of those things that God maybe never said, and if he said it, what does the Bible really say about it? So this morning's a pretty popular one. This morning is one of those uh, things I think we've all said... Uh, I've said before as we've been going through this series that I don't want you to be mad at me. I don't want to get emails about me offending you or anything like that. If you've said any of these things, you know, we're kind of all in this together. But this is one I've heard so many times. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. And that's that God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. Who said this? I have, right? God won't, God won't give you more than you handle. And this is just for free this morning because this isn't the direction I'm going. Let's, let's just be honest. I mean, present circumstances included. Life may, in fact, I pr- actually promise you, life at times will give you more than you can handle. Absolutely. This isn't the message. This is, like I said, this is for free. Life will bring you more than you can handle. But here's the thing. It'll never give you more than he can handle. It'll never give you more than he can handle. And that's a difference. That's the difference that we shape our heart. But that's not what we're talking about today. I actually think that this passage, is, or this, this phrase that we use is pulled out, and actually it's not even really what the scripture passage even says. I think where we get this from is a passage in 1 Corinthians. A passage in 1 Corinthians that says this. 1 Corinthians 10, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 to 13. It says this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And then here we go. Here we go with the passage. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. Let's pray this morning as we get started. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we could come to you. I thank you so much that your presence and your power are here. I thank you that we can sing as your congregation, you are good, that you are good father, that you are love, that you are mercy. Lord, as we go to your word, as we go to yet another passage and we we see what this has to say for us and that your Holy Spirit would empower us, that you would open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our hearts this morning, that we would hear these words of yours Lord, I need you to speak through me. I cannot speak this on on my own. I need your spirit. Don't let me say anything that would take away from your word or defame your pulpit, Lord. This is your time. As we sit under your word, Lord, may it not be just a transfer of information, but that your spirit would bring about life transformation in our hearts and lives. That when we leave here today, 
that we are changed and our lives are different, that our Sunday influences our Monday, Lord. And so that the difference that we have, the change that you make in our hearts and our lives, the transformation that we go through through your power would be so evident to a world around us that needs hope, that needs love, that needs joy, that needs peace, that they would see that we have something they don't and we would be able to share with them the good news of Jesus where we go this week, Lord. Put people in our path that we would be able to share this good news with. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we approach these verses, as we approach a verse like this one, we've been asking different questions. Part of this, this uh, series, if you haven't been here, is actually also talking about how do we interpret scriptures like this? How do we appro- apply this appropriate to our lives? And so I've shared that there's two ways to do this. And one of the ways is called exegesis. Exegesis, that prefix ex means drawing the truth out of the text. We read the text and we try to draw what God's truth is out of that, what, he, what he's trying to convey to us, what, what God is trying to show us about himself, show us about our, ourselves and how we live it out. But there's another way that we could sometimes fall into interpreting scripture that's, oh, this thing's finicky this morning. There we go. It's called eisegesis, eisegesis. You can even, in that E-I, you can even hear the word I, and that's reading into the text what you want to see. Now, I know no one in the congregation this morning ever does this, but there are some people that they want to share something and they know it's in the Bible somewhere, and so they go through and they find a verse that says what they want to tell somebody, and then they read it to them, right? And we've never done this. No one's ever taken anything out of that, right, out of context. We don't want to do that. We want to do the first one. We want to draw the truth out of the text, and how we do that first is we understand the context, We understand the context. What is happening? So is it like the book of Exodus? Is it the leader, Moses, the leader who is giving a message from God? You know, the the spirit carried men on, Peter tells us. And he's writing the words of God. And he tells us the story of the Israelites. And Moses is writing to the people of God. He's giving them the story telling us the story of what happened as they're led out of Egypt. He's telling them the law. He's giving them the law that God's given them. And that's, we know that's the context. Or as we look at this morning, 1 Corinthians, we know that it's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who wrote, you know, around a third of the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul is writing to a church. You know, Paul planted churches all along the Mediterranean Rim. And after he planted them, he left and he had to communicate with them. And they didn't have FaceTime and they didn't have cell phones. And he had, so he actually had to do this thing, you know, youth. He had to do this thing where he got out paper and a pen and he had to write it down. And then he had to send it with somebody who would carry it the whole way there. I know it's crazy. And he would write these letters to the churches, and these letters would actually be written, uh, read to the entire church in a context like we're at right now, a message from Paul telling them. And that's what this is. This is a message to a church in 1 Corinthians. That's the context. And then we also need to interpret scriptures with other scriptures. It's amazing. Thousands of years between Genesis and the maps, thousands of years, 66 books, Many different authors used by God to write them, and yet his message to us is consistent. And if there's something that we're looking at when we're looking at a a verse or or a text and we're not sure what God says or we want to see what else God says, we can actually interpret scripture with other scripture because our God is incredibly consistent across scriptures. And it's easy to do that now. It's so easy to do that. Almost every Bible and every translation makes a reference Bible where you can look and there's all kinds of great concordances and we can always be interpreting scripture with other scripture. And I would encourage you to do that. And then finally, apply what you learn. One of the things I've said over and over since I've been here is that we get into the words of the working what? Get into us, right? 
That's one of the things that it's a truth, it's a, it's a testimony that I can tell you in my life, that I have the opportunity to, to meditate on the very words of God, and as my heart grows to know him, and as he points out things about me that need to change, and I apply those truths to my life through a daily commitment to his word, that I actually become more like Jesus, because the Holy Spirit works in that process and, and changes me, transforms me from the inside out. So we can do the first, first, the first two really well, but we have to do all three. That's one of the reasons why we walk out of here, and I pray each and every week that you walk out of here and you have something from Sunday that informs your Monday. It's one of the reasons why I ask you, and I'll ask you again after, we're done pre- after I'm done preaching, are you ready to live this? It's because we want to apply God's word to our lives. And so this is how we read these. And so we're looking at this text, and we're trying to do these three things well. Paul is writing this, in the context of this verse in particular, Paul's writing is a letter to the Corinthians. I already said that. Now, what's going on in Corinth that Paul had to write this letter? That's an important question as we look at the context. Paul's addressing moral problems. That's what he's doing. The church in Corinth was a mess. Can you believe that? Can you believe a church would have problems? It's hard for me to believe this, but this is what happened to this church. There was sexual immorality within the church. All over the church, there was problems that he had to address. There was idolatry. People worshiping other things other than God. There was idolatry in the church. There was divisive philosophies. People had these philosophies that they had, and they were turning people against one another. There was litigation against each other. There were people in the church that were suing each other. That was what was going on. Sometimes we look at the problems that we have in the church today and we're like, wow, how could this happen? I think it's really interesting to think about the fact that as early as the the letter to the first Corinthians or to the Corinthians, that there was problems happening in the church that Paul had to address. Sometimes it gives me a little solace as a pastor, to be honest with you, you know, but there were litigation against each other. So Paul's writing this letter, not as encouragement. Because that's what the phrase that we're talking about usually is used for. You know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Actually, God, or uh, Paul's writing this letter as reproof, as correction, as giving these people correction about the way that they're living out their lives as the church, and he wants them to change it. And so that's what he's doing. Specifically in chapter 10, he's talking to them about the, about the problem of idolatry. And he's talking, them, talk to, talking to them about something else, too. Let's look at this one section and see if you can pick it up. I made it real easy for you. Paul writes this, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So Paul's not talking about, you know, letting you feel positive and God's never going to give you more than a handle. Paul's actually trying to address the area of our lives of temptation. That's what Paul's talking about. That's the context. That's, that's what the whole scripture passage is around. And temptation's a big deal for us, right? Does anybody else struggle with temptation? I struggle with temptation, so maybe I'm the only one. But we have temptations. We have temptations every day around us. They could be small things like overeating. We have a temptation to eat too much. We have a temptation uh, to be addicted to substances. Some of us have struggled being addicted to substances. Some of us are addicted to s- sexual sins, some people, if, if the, if the uh, percentages are correct, there are people in the room right now that have struggles and temptations with pornography, men and women. It's a reality. We live in a world with temptations. Some of us, the temptations are smaller, smaller like lying. Some of us, the temptations are big, like gambling. Some of us are addicted to social media, and we think there's nothing wrong with that. 
And yet if we were to look at our phones and check that one app that tells us how much time we spend a day on the phone, we could find out that we do have a problem with those things. We all struggle, whether you're a new believer, not a believer, been a believer for 50 years, we all struggle with temptation. So what does it mean to be tempted? What is temptation? I, I, I want to give you the, this definition this morning for temptation. This is the definition I have. Anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. We're tempted by it. We see it, we think, oh, maybe, maybe that's going to fill the hole. Maybe that's going to be what we need. It's a, it's a temptation to us. And, and we're, we're tempted by these things. And it's, it, there's a cost, though, when we follow through with that temptation. When that temptation grabs a hold of us until we move into sin, there's a cost to be paid. And the cost is obedience to God. And you know what we found out? You know what we found out about temptation? That when we are tempted, there's a chemical reaction. Did you know that? The dopamine, dopamine, that, that, that chemical that's released from the brain when there's a thrill, that's the same thing that gets released from the brain when you're going on a roller coaster. You with me? That's the thing, dopamine. It actually can be released when you're tempted. They've studied this and they've shown that the dopamine can be released and you, when you feel that thrill, some people as they're being tempted and it's something they want, obviously, because if it's not something you want, then it's not temptation. I mean, and, it, and if it's not something that maybe you think is good, then you're probably not sinning correctly. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, because, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, and, and so you feel the temptation and the dopamine goes up and you know what happens when the dopamine gets, you get dumped with dopamine? Your brain stops working. And all the moms of teenagers say amen. Right? Your brain stops working. When you feel this and your brain starts working and you start to get excited and you see whatever it is and you're tempted by it. And you're like, man, that looks really good. That's going to satisfy the whole of my heart. But I know that it's a temptation and I know that, that it's not something that aligns with what God wants me to do as a Christian. And yet there's this something that happens in all of us. You're like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Oh, it's so good. And then you know what happens as soon as you do it? Shame. Yeah. The dopamine goes away. The thrill goes away. And you've done it, and now you're filled with shame. You're filled with guilt. Galatians 5 tells us it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And the moment that we move from temptation to sin, it's like that heavy yoke has been put on our shoulders. And some of you this morning, you struggle with this. Some of you have prayed prayers in the middle of your shame and guilt where you promised God you would never do it again. Never gonna do this again. It's damaging my relationship with my spouse. It's damaging my relationship with my kids. It's damaging my relationship with God. God, forgive me, I will never do it again. And yet, if you're honest with me, your Christian life has been one where, yes, you're saved. Yes, you're gonna go to heaven. But in the meantime, what you're trying to do is you're trying to manage your sin. And you've bought into what Dallas Willard called the gospel of sin management rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings freedom. And you live in this cycle in your life where you, you're, you're walking with Christ and then you're tempted and then you're sin and you, sh you have shame and guilt. And then you walk away from that and you repent from that and then you're walking again with Christ and then you're tempted and then you walk into sin and shame. And it's a cycle that constantly happens. You know, 
Yesterday, my kids are are away at their grandma's this week, and uh, yesterday my wife, as any good mom would do when the kids are away, went through their rooms and found out something that was rather disturbing to all of us, Uh, basically just her and I, but maybe disturbing to you, we'll see. Uh, The kids weren't really cleaning up their rooms. Could you believe that? This is what they were doing. Now, I'm glad you're all sitting down, all right? They were taking all the things they were supposed to put away and they were hiding them under beds and in drawers and in the back of the closet. Yeah, it can't just be my kids, right? And here's the thing, though, folks. Hang with me. Some of us as our Christian lives, we're cleaning up our rooms, but really we're hiding everything. And the reason it's hiding, the reason we're hiding all these things, it looks good on the outside, but inside there's a bunch of junk cluttered up is because we haven't yet got a hold of how to live a life of freedom and have freedom from temptation. And that's what Paul is talking to us today. That's the context. So let's look at scripture, right? Four things that scripture says about temptation. I hope we can get this this morning. First thing is this. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. Part of the problem that we have with this, with this idea of being tempted and we see something like, you know, we're, we're, we struggle with gluttony and we see a donut on the break room table, right? And we, we fall into this habit or, or we struggle with lust and we see somebody jogging by, right? And, we, and we're like, hey, you right? Never did that, no. But we, we struggle with those things. The problem with some of us as we walk into this cycle, as we live in the cycle of with God and shame, with God and shame, with God and shame, as we do something that psychologists call fall into a motive of false guilt. False guilt, which actually says we've convinced ourselves that we have to be so perfect. We convince ourselves that we have to do it all on our own. We convince ourselves that we have to be in so control of all of these things that we get to the place where we begin to think, well, I'm just going to do it again. I might as well keep doing it. I might as well keep doing it. We allow ourselves to just fall into this repeated pattern where we allow our identity to be defined by our temptations and our sin rather than Christ. And as we fall into false guilt, we live into this pattern over and over again, and we can't get free of it. And we think that sometimes we can get to the place where we believe that our temptations are equal to our sins. And if we've been tempted, we might as well just go the whole way. But it's not a sin to be tempted. It's important for us to know that. It's it's not a sin to feel, it's not a sin. In fact, in Hebrews 4.15, the writer of Hebrews tells us this, we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who with every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Did you know that? Jesus, when he came to earth, was a man. He was also God. He was the God-man. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that our high priest, the one who is at the right hand of the Father that intercedes on our behalf, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came, who lived a perfect life, died a death for you, and is now lifted, lifted on high with God. He, right now, is interceding on your behalf, and he knows exactly what it feels like to be tempted. Men and women, he knows exactly what it looks like to be tempted. He was tempted by the devil himself, tempted. He knows what it feels like in every way. I joke about this honest, but just so you know, uh, you know, that word every, in the original Greek, it means every, okay? Tempted in every way, and yet he was without sin. Jesus knows what it feels like to go through what you went through this week. 
He knows what it feels like to be tempted the ways that you're tempted each and every week. He knows what it feels like to be walking with God and and Satan wanting to pull you off towards this direction. And yet he was without sin. And he lives in you if you were saved saved by grace through faith. His Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And he knows how to direct your life in the moment of temptation to not sin. Is that not good news? That is great news. And this is why the main point of this whole, passage, this whole uh, message today is this. Every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. He was tempted in every way but without sin. And if when you deal with temptation, rather than feeling like, oh no, here it comes again, here it comes again, it's so good, I just, I know I don't want it, I know God doesn't want it, and then you do it, and then you feel shame, and you live in this cycle. Folks, if you're living in this cycle, it's because you're seeing temptation, and you're conflating it with sin, and you don't understand that when you feel tempted, it's an invitation by the Holy Spirit to say, hey, come depend on me. I know how to overcome this, and I know how to carry you through this. Every invitation Every temptation is an invitation by Christ. The other second thing that I see scripture telling us is that we're never above temptation. We're never above temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking to yourself, boy, am I glad that so-and-so is here today. (laughs) She really needed to hear this. Or you're thinking... I can't wait till this is on the, online and podcast so I can send it to so-and-so because he really needs to hear this message today, right? That's a dangerous place for us to be. You're never above temptation. I've shared this before with you if you've been here. I, one of the most humbling slash terrifying things in my life is that I have men in my life that are mentors and, and some of them uh, have full, full ability to call me at any time and ask me about my thought life, ask me about my, my life with God, ask me about how I'm doing with my personal holiness. And you know what? As I've learned and as we talked and we've trusted one another, I find out that there's men that are 70 years old that still struggle with the temptations I do. And part of me, I feel like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, by the time I get there, I, I would hope this would be fine. But it also reminds me, it also reminds me that you're never above temptation, folks. I don't care how young you are, how old you are, how long you've been a Christian. We all are susceptible to temptation. And this is what I found out. Satan will attack you at your weaknesses, but he will also attack you at your strengths. He's an equal opportunity attacker. Let me give you some examples if you're a family guy, if everybody knows you as a family guy, if your family is so important, don't be surprised if God tempts you or if Satan tempts you with an affair. If you put your health first, if you know, you, you're, you're a health nut, don't be surprised if you're tempted by you know, using illegal substances that are going to make you look better, make you perform better. Don't be, don't be surprised if you're going to be tempted to change your eating habits and have an eating disorder. I've seen it time and time again with people where God tempts them at those, or where Satan tempts them at those places. If you're a counselor or a doctor and you help people, you help the sick and you have access to all the prescription drugs to help them feel better or not have, not have any problems with pain or sickness, don't be surprised if you're tempted to engage in pre- prescription abuse. It's very common. If you're a pastor and you're about to preach a sermon on temptation, don't be surprised if Satan tempts you. If you're a pastor and you're about to preach a sermon on anger, don't be surprised if you lose your temper with your kids right before you come up on the platform. 
This is how our enemy loves to work. Not only does he like to tempt us in our weaknesses, but he wants to tempt us in our strengths. We have to guard against self-confidence. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And if you think that you're above temptation, scripture says, don't do that. Take heed because you're gonna fall flat on your face. That's the new Dan version. No one is above temptation. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, listen, I'm a good person. I don't, this isn't apply to me, I'm a good person. With love, I'll tell you, no, you're not. You've been corrupted since birth. Every one of us, scripture's very clear, since, since Adam and Eve fell, we've been born into sin. This is the reason why I will ask you to go to our nursery and find one two-year-old that will give, take a toy and say, here, it's yours. No, you know what they all say? It's mine. It's mine. It's amazing when you have children, amen, that, that, that it feels like they just start to walk and talk and you start to see the sin nature inside of them. It's inside of all of us. And yes, the longer we walk with Jesus, the longer we have, a more, we, the more we have ability to control our temptations, but we're not above temptation. None of us are. Third thing I see in scripture is that God will never tempt you. God will never tempt you. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Folks, there is not a passage in scripture that I see that represents this process that I was just talking about. When we have this temptation and the temptation's in us and we're getting drawn to it and it's conceived and we're lured and enticed by it and it becomes a desire inside of us and the desire as we step into it, we, it's a, it gives birth to sin. And you know what happens as soon as you sin, especially if you're a Jesus person, especially if you have the Holy Spirit inside you, sometimes you're convicted and the problem is some of us, we think that conviction is actually condemnation and we're filled with shame and guilt and we feel like we've died inside the good news of Jesus is there's a different way. The good news of Jesus is the conviction that you have in your heart is God's way of confirming to you that you are a son or a daughter, you're a child of God, and when you're tempted, he wants to bring freedom from that temptation and sin away. But some of us, we fall into that, and some of us believe that we're tempted by God. Oftentimes, you'll hear people say, the devil made me do it. But regardless of which way it is, it's the desires inside our own hearts that cause us to fall into temptation. But God doesn't tempt us. God does, however, test us. And this is how you know the difference. How do you know that God's testing you? Because a test from God will move you forward in faith. A test from God will take a larger amount of surrender. A test from God will grow you in Christ-likeness. A test from God moves you forward. A temptation from the devil will do the exact opposite. A temptation from the devil will pull you back. A temptation from the devil will, 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 be, will be at an end where he will whisper in your ear that you're not a son, you're not a daughter. You're nothing besides defined by the sins that you live out. A temptation from the devil will pull you down. A temptation from the devil will zap you of all joy. A temptation from the devil will push you into chains when we worship and believe in a chain breaker. God doesn't tempt you. He may test you, but the temptation is always from Satan to pull you back. A testing from God will always push you forward. You're not tempted. 
It's interesting, Martin Luther, the great reformer, you know who Martin Luther is? He says that there was three things that made us, that we needed in our lives to be close to God. He said the first thing is prayer. The second thing is meditation. And the third thing is temptation. This is what he said. Or in other words, we need to have a life where we regularly talk with God. We need to have a life where we're regularly hearing from God. And the third thing is, we need to have a life in which we rely on God. Because every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. That's why you hear me talk about it until you're tired of me talking about it. That in order for our lives, especially when it comes to sin and temptation, to overcome these things, to have a relationship with God, we need to have a life where we speak to him. We need to have a life where we're beginning our day in prayer. We need to have a life where we're constantly in communion with the Father. We need to have a time of meditation where his, he, he couldn't make it any easier, folks. If you don't have a Bible you can't understand, come find me and I'll get you one. Where you can meditate on his word where when you get into the word, the words get into you and you hear from him and he transforms you. And then if we start to have a shift in our mindset when it comes to our sin, when it comes to our temptation, that when we are tempted and the Holy Spirit says, uh-oh, here's a temptation, rather than allow the dopamine to close our mind off, we see it as an invitation from God himself reaching out his hand and saying, rely on me. Put your strength in me. Allow my Holy Spirit to empower you to have freedom over this so that you grow in more strength and power with the love of Christ. If we see that, we will move forward in our godliness and our pursuit of him. Every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. And that's why the fourth thing is always true, I think, as well. It's right from the passage. There's always a way out. There's always a way out. Every time you're here, and you're tempted by that, there is in between here and there a way out. That's what the passage says. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, maybe you think to yourself, well, Dan, I I understand this is what scripture says, but it doesn't feel that way to me. I can't see a way out. I've never felt a way out. Well, I want to remind you the context of this verse. On either side, if you read 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is writing about idolatry. And so with love, I will say to you, if you're not seeing a way out, the temptation may be great in your life because the thing you're repeatedly tempted by has become an idol in your life. It's a place where you believe, where you regularly, regularly return to it because you believe that it's going to provide satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God, and it's become something that's an idol. And God can free you from that. He can provide you a way out from that. What's your way out from temptation? Do you know? Is this something you can readily call upon in your mind, and your heart? Is it a practice as your life as a Christian? I would urge you this morning, we all struggle with temptation. If we don't know what our way out is, we're going to continue to struggle with sin and temptation. And I don't know if that will ever go away, but we should be able to get a little bit better at it. As we grow in our faith, we should be able to overcome it because that's what the passages say. And I just happen to be dumb enough to think, actually, I don't think it's dumb. I think it's faithful enough to believe that what it says in here is actually true. I do. And so there's different ways out. One of the simple ways that the scripture gives us as a way out 
is confession. Now, I'm not going Catholic on you before you get worried. It's not what I'm saying. It's confession. Proverbs 28, 19 says, whoever conceals does not prosper, but confess, whoever confesses finds mercy. Confession. It is helpful to confess your sins one to another, to have somebody who's trustworthy that you can say, you know what, I'm really struggling with this. That's why James says that. That's why I believe that we grow deeper in circles, not rows. That's why I'm going to continue to push and invite you to get involved in grace groups where your lives can intertwine with people and you can be in a safe place to confess something. Can I tell you, I have never been in a small group where we didn't grow in close relationship with one another where somebody didn't move to the place where they confessed something they were struggling with. And you know what the beauty of it is? Every time, as a pastor now, I watch it. As a pastor, I now see it. They, they, start, they start to share something, and you can see they're nervous, right? You know, maybe they get choked up. Maybe their, their lips quiver. Whatever it is, they're nervous, and, they, and then you can just see them, and, they, and then they, you can just see all the pent-up guilt, all the pent-up shame, all the pent-up lies from the, from the enemy, and then they confess, you know, this is something I'm struggling with. This is something that's hurting me. This is something that I know is damaging my relationships, damaging my relationship with God, and as soon as it comes out, you know, what the body of Christ does in those contexts? Two things. The first thing is most of the time people are like, oh yeah, yeah, I struggle with that too. And everybody's like, oh, because you can see in the person, they're like, oh, well, I thought I was the only one, right? The second thing that happens is I've never heard somebody stand up and say, heretic, you know, or are you going to hell? No. You know what happens? An overflow of love, an overflow of support, an overflow of prayer. And the person becomes knowledgeable that there is a safe space between the, being inside the body of Christ where you can confess your sins. And once they're out into the light, they have no longer any power because the glory of the Lord is now shone upon them. And other people who have the Holy Spirit in them, brothers and sisters in Christ, now can hold you accountable, now can build you up when you're weak, now can hold you up in the times where you're weak and say, you are a son, you are a daughter. You can overcome this by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. This is who you are. Don't allow that to define you any longer. Every time confession happens. That's why it's so important. Confession, accountability. Sometimes your way out's going to be true repentance. Folks, feeling guilt and shame is not true repentance. Repentance literally means to change your mind, to change your heart, to change your life. Not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. True repentance. Some of us, we feel bad about our sin, but we've never repented of it. We've never said, this sin has broken my relationship with you, God. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against my friend. I've sinned against my neighbor. Lord, I need your forgiveness. And as we live into a life of continual repentance, our dependence on God grows. Some of us need that. That's your way out. Some of you, you may need to get a Christian therapist to help you because it's a continual thing where you are using this, this repeated sin to, to heal your body or you think it's going to take care of something. It becomes a way that you soothe your soul and it's something that you need to break the cycle of your life. Sometimes, some of you, someone in this room may need therapy from somebody who's a Christian, Bible-believing person to help them overcome a repeated sin. But it's your way out. Some of you need accountability. I need accountability. As your pastor, I need people that are calling and checking on me and asking me hard questions. Some of you, your way out is to change your process. Folks, if you fall in temptation at the same time every time, then you need to look back and say, okay, how do I interrupt the process? 
Have you ever heard the, have you ever heard the, uh, the phrase halt? H-A-L-T? This is free. You can write this down this morning too. It's this, it's this simple. If you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely, or if you're tired, we've, they found out that, you know what? We're more susceptible to temptation in those places. If you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely, if you're tired, if you're any of those four things, you may be able to recognize that and realize that your way out is to, when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely or you're tired, to, to bend your heart into more dependence on him. There's always a way out. There's always an ability for you to say, Christ in me is more powerful than the temptation I'm facing. That he is greater than he that is in the world. There's always a way out. And every temptation is an invitation to depend on him. Have you ever thought about temptation this way? Have you ever thought about temptation? Not as, not as oh no, I'm being tempted. You know what? The natural result is sin and shame. But instead to say no, the natural result for a believer in Jesus Christ is to say, when I am tempted, it's an invitation for me to grab a hold of the power that lives in me and say, Satan, you have no control over me. I have victory, not only in this life, but the next. It's an invitation, and it's the difference between false guilt and freedom. And we are meant to live in freedom, folks. Yes, will we struggle with sin? Of course we will. Will we struggle with temptation? Of course we will. But scripture's clear that even though there's no temptation that's ever fallen us that hasn't fallen every other person, that God is faithful, right? Let's look at that verse again. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful faithful. If you write in your Bible, I would underline that, circle it, highlight it, whatever. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with a temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. So, will God never give you more than you can handle? No, I believe that life was going to give you more than you can handle, but it'll never give you more than he could handle. And I also believe that when we're living a life where we're dealing with temptation, when we're living a life where we're trying to have victory over sin, that God is faithful. And it's an invitation when you're tempted to depend on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, you know, maybe we didn't think we were gonna show up today and learn about temptation and sin, but... Lord, it's something that we all struggle with. It's a, it's a reality of who we are, this side of heaven. That though we've been rescued and we've been redeemed and though your spirit lives in us, the, the, enemy wants, the enemy wants us to live into this cycle of false guilt, this cycle of doing it on our own. He wants us to live into the gospel of sin management rather than the gospel of freedom in Christ Jesus. Lord, we're thankful that you are faithful, that there's a way of escape. Father, there's somebody in this room today who needs to hear that that struggle that they've had, that you've given them a way out, that you've planted them in a church community where there are people for them, not against them. 
people that can stand in the gap with them and encourage them to overcome that sin, to take a step forward every temptation to greater freedom, a place where there's loving people that can hold each other accountable, a place where there's loving people that want to see us all have victory over our sin. Lord, we're thankful that there's an invitation in the moment of our temptation to rely on you, to put our trust in you, and that you're faithful, you will provide a way of escape. Lord, let us be a church, let us be people that can overcome our temptation and grow in godliness for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.
Are you ready to live this? You ready to live this this week? It's common to all of us. All of us Jesus followers, we all struggle with temptation. Until Satan is defeated and thrown into the abyss, it's going to be the reality of who we are and until we're face to face with our Lord in heaven. But we have a way to break the cycle, right? God's given us a way to break this cycle in our lives because he's faithful. Because he said, be holy as I am holy, and then he's given us his spirit to empower us to do so. Because he's a loving God who's for you, not against you. And when you're tempted, it's an invitation to put your dependence on him so he will bring you into freedom. Isn't that great? Isn't that encouraging? It's so good. He's so good. I'm so excited to be with you already next week, but come back and we'll, uh, thanks for being here this morning. God bless you all. Have a great week. Share this with somebody you know this week. See ya. Thank you.